Quest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Quest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Quest Podcast, do hit the subscribe button on whatever is your preferred podcast platform provider. For this episode, I'm joined by Alan Meany of Fundrex. Fundrex is a fintech firm that helps particularly fund administration firms to manage their data in a way that's more efficient. And for this chat with Alan, we cover a whole range of topics from what it's like to spend lockdown in New York, which is where Alan is based rather than a random topic, through to adoption by financial services firms of fintech solutions and innovation and how they're getting a bit quicker about making decisions and pushing on with that. We chat about the old nugget of buy versus build. and We talk about the kinds of challenges that firms that are selling into regulated firms have around the due diligence that they'll be subjected to, which is all good stuff and very important, but quite time-consuming, as you can imagine. We talk about how this makes financial services firms scalable and how you can try and measure that. And then we wrap up by chatting about Adminivate 2022, which is coming along on Thursday, the 13th of January in Trinity College. Tickets from Adminivate.ie. Check it out. It is a great event. So with that, on with the show. The Equest Podcast. Funds Industry Conversations. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the Quest Podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Listen, you've lived lockdown life in New York. What's it been like? It has been, uh, I guess, two ends of the spectrum in that in the early stages, it was quite tough. Um, and now that the city is coming out of it, it's sprung back to life. So, you know, the uh, the motto locally is, you know, you can't kill New York and it's it's uh, it's back back from the brink. So it seems to be getting busier and busier every week. And you know, back to normality a little bit with some minor restrictions. Great. Well, we're opening up over here. We were recording in early October. Ireland opens up the 22nd of October, which should be an end of, of an awful lot of the restrictions. Sounds like you're a little bit ahead of us and that uh, are things like bars and theatres and that kind of stuff open? Yeah, Broadway's back. Bars are open. Still wearing masks on public transport. And actually, generally, people are wearing masks outdoors um, around the city. And my two daughters in school are both wearing masks throughout the school day. But any other sort of restrictions have been eased. Um, people are bringing people back to the office. We're starting to see events happen again, both indoors and outdoors. So, yeah, it's the new normal. I don't think we're going to get back to the old normal. And how long has it been a Fundrex office in New York? You're there just a little bit before the lockdown started, I think. Yeah, so it's just over two years now. So we came over in August 2019, just ahead of, of the start of the pandemic. Went home for a few months and, and came back just over a year ago. So, you know, in pandemic years, I know it's a bit like dog years these, these days. It probably feels like five, but it was only, it was only two. Well, I always love talking to yourself and, and Des and the guys in, in Fundrex around, uh, you know, starting a business and what it's like and how things are progressing because... While a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, you know people in that sector will sugarcoat it, you guys don't tend to. You call it straight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it comes with its challenges, but obviously its rewards as well. We, um, you know, coming into the pandemic, like everyone, no one knew what the impact was going to be on individual companies or sectors. And thankfully, touch wood, the funds industry really shone through from a resilience perspective. We've grown the business um, by over 100% during COVID. We've actually doubled the team headcount and client headcount numbers have grown similarly. So 
it turns out, you know, it's, it's been really good for us, but I guess it's probably been a reflection of how different uh, segments of the, indus- of, of the economy have been affected. You know, thankfully, with a lot of our clients and their clients, moving to remote working from home was pretty seamless. Like, I mean, looking back at it, um, you know, it was a case of on a Tuesday, go to the office on a Wednesday, start working from home. And there was very little client disruption in, in the funds industry. So, you know, we've, we've been very lucky um, from that perspective. But of course, then you're yeah. dealing with all the challenges of, you know, how to manage a remote team, how to onboard people that you don't meet in person through the interview process, through and getting them up to speed. And then having to, to manage, you know, life stresses through COVID and support your, your team members as going through those challenges. So it's been obviously an interesting two years for everyone. But um, thankfully, we seem to have come out the other side of it stronger than we went in. And do you think like that's phenomenal growth over the last sort of 18 months? Do you think you were due that growth that you'd laid the groundwork and it was coming your way anyway? Or was it accelerated by COVID and work from home? Yeah, you can't take that for granted uh, growing the business. And, you know, we've, we've done a lot of hard yards to get to where we are now. Um, but, you know, what we benefited from during the pandemic was as people moved to working from home, they really, you know, took a close look at all their processes internally and across the company. And I guess tried to figure out where they could be more efficient, how they could use technology better to automate stuff so that, you know, people weren't manipulating data for hours a day and could actually focus on supporting their clients through a tough time for everyone. You know, um, the more time our clients have to help their clients solve their problems, you know, the better, the better we're serving them. So, you know, the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation, which is a key buzzword. I'm sure you're, you're starting to get sick of hearing. And, you know, the feedback we hear is at board meetings now, digital transformation is, you know, in the top three, of items to be discussed, whereas pre-pandemic it was it was you know somewhere between five and ten and a nice to have, but not necessarily an urgent change that was needed for it. Whereas now, companies I think are you know accepting that that needs to be addressed and you know invested in, and we can't wait around for for things to catch up. We have to be proactive about it. So you know we've yeah. we've definitely rode the wave of of digitalization during the pandemic and benefit from it and you know in general the industry has grown as well we've seen you know assets under management grow you know service providers have, have continued to hire um, and the industry's continued to thrive thankfully and you know proved itself to be pretty pretty counter sick which is you know one of the benefits we thought it would have before kind of this black swan type event which has now been proven true yeah and you mentioned, you know, digital transformation, and there is nothing like a gun to the head to force firms to act. And and yes. think that if it was a nice to have, it it very much goes on the long finger. Whereas uh, if it's an imperative, things happen. And I do want to ask you about, you know, that move and that adoption of of digital and and software by regulated firms. But just in case there's anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with Fundrex, God have them. Uh, could you <laughs> what you guys do in short period? Sure, we, we've built software to help our clients automate reconciliations and data transformation. And you know, for, for anyone that's not at the coalface, what, what that generally means is firms are under pressure receiving data from multiple sources in multiple file formats with no common data model. So for example, you know, one source might call it shares, another will call it quantity, someone will call it nominal. But obviously if we're trying to streamline a process internally or feed an internal system, 
we want to normalize all that data and then more than likely uh, we want to enrich it. So what our technology does is allow business users handle all that without having to manually touch the data. So we can set that up to run as an automated process. We can help our clients you know, scale their business and serve more clients without having to grow the headcount to manage that data manually um, and really you know, allow them to provide services they couldn't previously provide without the software. Uh, so in, in a way, I guess it's partly, presumably that the quality of the data ends up being better because it's been properly scrubbed, but then also as a workforce and a, a team in, let's say, a fund administration business, you get to spend more time actually analyzing data rather than trying to scrub it and put it into a system. Yeah, exactly. Like we look at our client base, a lot of them are service providers, be it fund administrators, uh, audit firms, or even the investment managers themselves. And you know, the, the strongest asset within those businesses is usually their people and their people's knowledge and expertise. We want that expertise to spend their time solving problems for their clients and not solving their own data problems. So that's why that's where Fundrex software comes in and helps those people leverage themselves and you know concentrate on on fixing problems for clients rather than diving in and out of spreadsheets and trying to get macros to combine things and try and turn Swift files into CSV and all these type of things that need to be done, but can be can be done better through automated software. And so, as you deal with regulated financial services firm, which is obviously our world, um, yeah. I guess in the past I. Sometimes get the sense that whilst firms would talk the talk about innovation and looking to streamline and change, that uh, when it actually came to implementing, and part of that is putting your hand in your pocket, but but everything else that goes with it, that uh, that they were very slow to actually do things in practice. Is that still the case, or is that just a non-runner at this stage because your your peers will have left you behind? Yeah, so it's it's definitely improved since we started first. So when we would have started looking at providing solutions back in 2015, at that stage, we were fully cloud-based, which was a little bit earlier than when a lot of financial services firms became comfortable with the cloud. So we were kind of evangelizing the benefits of it and, you know, how, you know, buying from a specialist provider for us, for, like us, was, was a better investment than trying to build your own solutions individually as a company. And I guess what we've seen really over the last few years is a bit of a cultural change across financial services where firms are now focusing more on their USP. What, what is it that makes them, you know, stand out from the crowd in terms of how they provide their service? You know, that isn't necessarily doing commoditized technology solutions. And, you know, the conversation that comes up a lot when we're discussing it with prospective clients is, you know, build versus buy. Should we try and solve this problem ourselves internally, you know, should we continue to do it the way? So that kind of inertia effect um, that we're doing it now, or should we, you know, contract to a specialist technology provider like Fundrex that are constantly in reinvestment, reinvesting in R&D and obviously solving this at an industry level. How many and times it, have you had a, a build versus buy conversation in your career? Uh, more times than I'd <laughs> like to count, <laughs> Daniel, at this stage, but, you know, it, it comes back to a few factors. It, it's, you know, trying to, I guess, show, show the prospective buyer the light that, you know, they have limited internal resources. We're a way of outsourcing their innovation. And that's, that's a lot of the way we, we kind of boil down the pitch is, you know, you can treat us as, as your external innovation team that will continue to invest in the latest technology. We'll monitor the latest regulations that are coming. We'll put the technology in place to handle that. We'll, you know, build the technology that will empower your business users to 
focus on the client and less so on the data. Um, and that's 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 a large part of our pitch. And then that frees them up to, you know, invest in stuff that they think will help them win business um, above their peers. Yeah, it, it sounds a little bit like the conversations, you know, that I might have with firms around, say, training. Yeah, a lot of firms have expertise in-house. That they could yeah. do their own training and deliver it, but it's a lot of effort and time. And what generally happens is it, it doesn't happen or it falls away or, you know, something gets in the way of it. And I guess it's maybe something similar in your in your game that um, keeping that, te- getting the technology established and, and uh, implemented is one thing, and then keeping it up to date is another. And unless you have a dedicated team whose job it is just to do that, very easy for it to, uh, I guess, for it to go out of date very quickly. Yeah, and I'm sure it's the same in the training world. Like we, we see software as a living organism that needs to be nurtured, you know, maintained, looked after. Um, and if it isn't, it quickly starts becoming out of date and redundant. And what we find is, you know, there's no better pressure than market forces to make sure that that happens. And, you know, us having to solve the problem for clients and having to innovate and compete with other firms means that, you know, we're forced to be as good as we can possibly be. Sometimes where an internal development team comes along and and builds an initial solution, the problem companies face is as soon as that's finished, they move on to the next problem and there isn't necessarily the incentive to keep improving that solution they've built previously. Um, so that's kind of one of the trade-offs that, that companies need to think about. Um, and then obviously, if it is something they think is going to help them win business and one of their USPs, you know, we've often said, you know, you're better off building this yourself if you think it's going to be that important to your business and having control over the full process. And maybe think about another element of your of your technology stack is better for outsourcing. And so, you know, is there a golden rule of thumb or, or something that you see that it always boils down to when it comes to a build versus by decision like is it i'm a large financial services group i can't be seen to uh to outsource this i i have to be seen to be doing this myself so the big guys always do it themselves or is it got to do with <laughs> this particular function is my usp or it's so important to me that i even if I'm smaller i got to do this bit myself yeah it, it's a funny one because in the way if you think about it sometimes it's hypocritical in that these firms are outsourced financial service providers who are asking their clients to outsource to them uh, and that their pitch is exactly the same as our pitch to them whereas we're saying you know you focus on your core business we look after this side of it for you um, in the same way that they pitch to their clients and then it, it comes down to them making a decision internally what should our priorities be and you know it, it can be a you know a little bit they have to get out of their own way and say okay it's okay to get in external help that's specialized and that will improve the business if it helps drive the business forward and i think you know when we look at the technology industry in parallel to financial services you know part of the innovators that you see out there are quite humble you know they don't try to be you know have the answers to everything they they can accept that there's always room for improvement because you know they know innovation moves so fast that you know they can't sit there waiting uh, waiting for the industry and you know in a way i think financial services is trying is starting to catch up with that mindset a little bit yeah and it is it does take um i guess it takes a bit of time for your your mindset to change as you said and that and to accept that maybe you don't have all the answers all of the time immediately and you don't have to right and then you know i think for our clients and our clients clients once you're saying to them that listen we're doing our best to solve a problem um, and be creative about how we do it. And, you know, we're very focused on your success and enabling that, 
you know, they'll accept that you don't have the answers now once you're working towards the right answer. Yeah. The danger is you you pretend to have the right answers, um, but underneath the hood, you know, there's nothing going on. There's no progress being made. And then eventually, you know, the tide will go out and, you know, you, you'll be seen for, for, for not having made that investment. Um, and it is a cultural change. And I mean, financial services has gone through, especially the last two years, an accelerated cultural change. And, you know, we're seeing it now with, with hybrid work and work from home or work for the office and flexible hours. You know, if, if we had a look at the industry five years ago or 10 years ago and said, you know, there's going to be a waterfall moment where everyone in the office is going to work from home for 18 months without coming in to be in person, you know, you would have, we would have thought each other were crazy. You know, we would have thought that would never be possible. Even 10 years ago, when we didn't have the collaboration tools like your Zooms and your Teams and your Slacks, you know, it just, and remote uh, access to software and servers. Um, you know, if the pandemic had happened then, you know, you'd be very worried about how the, the, the industry would have coped with it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, in our, our last podcast, I was chatting with uh, Jennifer Gall of Savvy Recruitment Consultants, and she made that point. We were discussing how much the pandemic had accelerated workplace flexibility, and she reckoned yeah. around five to 10 years. Like, I mean, it would have taken five to 10 years to get to this point, minus definitely, uh, which, which is a fair estimation, I would have thought. So we see firms that are more willing and, and more ready to innovate and actually adopt and, and get on with it. They'll have their build versus buy discussion. If they go down the, the, the buy route, what kind of due diligence and questions then will they be asking of their, uh, their providers or as they go through the RFP process? Because I know the regulator is super hot on outsourcing and particularly yeah. outsourcing and cloud outsourcing and how you go about verifying that the firm you're hiring knows what they're doing and, and yeah. they're not going to let you down. Yeah, I mean, over the last, two to three years we're seeing financial services firms become more and more sophisticated in how they evaluate SaaS solutions and specifically cloud-based SaaS solutions. So, you know, obviously public versus private cloud, we're hosted in the public cloud with Amazon Web Services. Uh, We have been for about six or seven years now. And what we're seeing firms look for in their due diligence process and, you know, their security review is certification around ISO 27001, SOC 2 compliance, you know, penetration testing, whether data is encrypted at rest and in transit, what are your contingency plans for fallovers and replication? Um, and, you know, the, there's quite detailed and there's quite detailed questionnaires that come with every engagement that we do. And I think the internal IT teams are, you know, have educated themselves in the last five years to, to understand better how cloud security worked. Um, but, you know, you need to working with large financial services firms, you know, the, the bar is always rising um, in terms of what you have to have in place before they'll be comfortable with putting the data in your solution. Um, and yeah, they're the types of things that companies are looking for, you know, in the next two to three years, that's just going to increase. And, you know, the, the standards are, you know, getting risen across the board, which is a great thing because at the end of the day, when, it, when a client is putting their data in Fundrex, they're trusting us with their client's data, which is, you know, the most valuable commodity they have. Um, and we need to show and be seen to protect that data to the same or higher levels than they do themselves. Yeah, I was going to say, after having spent half your life on your fivers and bill conversations, is your other half spent filling out due diligence questionnaires? Because as, as you said, the regulated firms are so much more sophisticated now and detailed in what they look for and ask when it comes to due diligence on yeah, if I if I had a, a wish or a magic wand, it would be for, you know, 
a standard due diligence questionnaire to be settled on for for cloud SaaS providers. And that would, you know, help uh, help solve our pain a little bit. But you know, every firm views risk differently and they will cater their questions to their own internal setup. So you have to appreciate that and just be patient and work with them. And to be honest with you, every time we speak to an IT team and they review our technology and our security, it helps improve it because they'll come back to us with suggestions. And oftentimes we'll end up adding stuff to the roadmap based on, you know, feedback that we've gotten from them due to, through the due diligence process. So it, it does act as a way to improve if you, if you treat it in the right way. Um, but it, it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting you say that, Alan, because it is when you get that feedback, it is an opportunity to say, actually, we could do things better um, and to, to raise the bar and improve what you do, as opposed to be defensive about it and, and kind of push back. Um, tell me this then, for fintech firms, if they don't have an ISO 27001, are they, are they at nothing in terms of trying to sell into a, a regulated financial services provider? Is it very much a battle? No, no, you need, you need to start somewhere. Um, and I would never say don't start. Um, I think, you know, sometimes going, having a conversation with, with someone and say, do you have this pain point? If I solved it in this way, would that be something you sign up for? And then building a business on the back of it is a good way to get going. You know, we've, we've seen the bar rise, obviously, as we've discussed over the last few years, but we still see other, other firms grow their businesses that would be selling to financial services or even more on the consumer side that would have none of these things up front and effectively attempt to backfill them uh, while they're building out the, the business and the technology. So, I mean, I think if, you, if you're coming from an operational background or, you know, a compliance background or, you know, regulated fund services firm, you'll be pretty aware of, of the requirements to get going. Um, and I think once you have a plan in place, that's what we found in, in the early days. Once we've shown that we have a plan, this is what we're working towards. Firms are happy to work with you. Um, they, they'll just say, okay, well, we can't go any further than, than A, B, or C until you get those check marks in place. Sure. Listen, uh, on a completely different topic, I do want to talk to you about Adminovate. Um, sure. But before we do, there was something you mentioned about um, you know, the way that your tech facilitates scalability for firms. Uh, yeah. And I just, I wondered, because it's, it's something I hear a lot, for example, working with fund management companies, when they put in place the resources and the staff and, and the systems, uh, mm. new AUM doesn't necessarily mean that they need to add a commensurate amount of new bodies. You know, it's not linear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, is there a way to measure scalability? Because I know from a regulator perspective, you do understand what's, you know, you're told about scalability, but at the same time, if you have had a business that had 10 billion and now they have 20 billion, shouldn't they have more staff or, or is it that, uh, is scalability that powerful that, that uh, you could add that much to your business without adding uh, staff? Is there yeah, to- I think that the answer to that is, you know, somewhere in the middle, Daniel. So, you know, you're never going to get that straight up curve of pure technology because there is a, a human element to financial services and fund servicing. There's always going to be that requirement there. I think what we're just seeing is, you know, and it's been talked about for years that, you know, you, you would see a junior fund accountant and a senior fund accountant role disappear over time as technology replaced some of the work that they were doing. But there would always always be a need for, you know, and a manager and assistant manager and a client relationship manager to look after that side of things. And what we see with the technology side of it, and if you look at some of our specific solutions around EMIR reconciliations or cash flow monitoring for depositories, 
what the technology will allow you to do is do a much thorough job analyzing the data so that your analysts spend the time reviewing the exceptions um, and adding value there. And I think that's what the technology will help you scale with. You know, it'll allow you to do more with less people, but also means you can you can take on more clients and support them um, with a smaller team because if the technology has been set up correctly and is automating the workflow, it moves upstream to be you know a higher value task for for the team that are working on it. Um, so that would be be my two cents on it. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like scalability is possible, but it doesn't mean that you can grow infinitely without seeing your your staff numbers. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you're kind of some seg- shape or form. Yeah, you're kind of segue nicely into um, the Adminovate discussion. One of the panels, and we only had a call this morning about it that we were discussing um, as a potential panel for the conference is, you know, fund servicing in 2030 and what that would look like, and and just trying to explore that whole point of. You know, what will the mix of technology and people be? And I think it'll continue to be a mix. And it's just going to be, you know, the, the percentage that, that technology is involved in is just going to increase more and more. You know, as we look at the funds industry, it is a data business with a people business layered on top and then obviously compliance and regulation as well. Um, and I think we're improving how we do the, the data side of it, but there's still a ton of improvement left yet. And I think you know, even by 2030, we'll still have a lot of work to do. Oh my God, that, that segue to Adminovate was so smooth that you'd think we had planned it and we <laughs> prepped for the podcast. Nearly, not quite. I think this is all on the fly. Well, tell us about Adminovate then. Uh, it's one of my favorite events. And I'm yeah, so, glad to see you come back. Yeah, no, we're delighted to be back. Obviously, it's, it's the first conference we're organizing um, coming out the far side of the pandemic. Um, hopefully it's going to be one of the biggest gatherings in the fund industry since since events were shut down uh, in Ireland. And, you know, the whole genesis of, of Adminovate was we were really looking for a conference for ourselves where operations people, different stakeholders in the industry could get together and talk about the future and how, you know, innovation could help improve companies and help improve the service we provide, help improve you know, the cost and reduce the cost for investors at, at the bottom line. And then, you know, on the inspiration side, where could we look and find inspiration that we could apply to the funds industry, be that from technology industries, you know, you know, when we were discussing it two years ago, it used to be trying to take ideas from, from what was happening a year or two ahead of going technology. And now the pandemic has really sucked financial services into the future um, really quickly. And the conference itself is trying to get everyone together and network, share ideas and really, you know, come away with it at the start of the year, energized and with, with a bunch of things that you, you can consider bringing into your business um, and hopefully a load of new contacts to, to walk away with. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about it. it. It's not the same old faces. Now, there's nothing wrong with the same old faces, but you know what I mean? It, it's a very it's quite a different crowd, maybe, I guess, because it's operations focused. Uh, yeah, I think I think the way we look at it from our side, it, it's more an inward industry looking conference where we kind of look at, well, how could we do things better or, you know, what challenges are coming up for the industry that we need to talk about and consider? Um, you know, it, it's not trying to sell services to investment managers. It's, you know, not trying to promote Ireland necessarily as a funds destination, but it's, it's a mix of operations, technology uh, and, you know, service providers. It's quite buzzy as well. There is a nice atmosphere. And I guess... When this one rolls around, having had the break, we were <laughs> you're laughing. We're going to be we, were, buzzy. we were only talking. We were only talking today in the call about um, you know, Dez's uh, music selection for today, and I think we had uh, 
we had an initial shout for uh, Tin Lizzy. The boys are back in town as the <laughs> as the opening song. <laughs> so you know, the, oh. what we tried to do is yeah, get get everyone pumped up. Um, you know, put some energy into it. Make sure everyone enjoys the day first and foremost. But then comes away having you know learned new things. You know, generate new ideas and you know connect with new people that you know they they might not have had a chance to connect with before. Great. So listen, let us know the details. It's in Trinity again this year or next. Yes, year. we're we're really excited. We're in the new business campus, which is which is exciting. So we're we're moving into a bigger venue, which is brand new build. It's on Thursday, January the thirteenth, and it'll be starting at eight thirty, running for the day. We will do an evening event, which is traditionally being our quiz night, but it's yet to be confirmed. And you can find details and tickets on www.adminnovate.ie. Adminnovate.ie, 13th of January. And if I'm not mistaken, there's quite a chunk uh, of what comes in, makes its way to charity. Yeah. So, you know, a big part of it is it, it's run as a not-for-profit com- conference. We will take any revenue, less expenses, and we have donated that to two very important charities, Basis Point and Trinity Access Programs. Both of them are both um, education-related and helping people from disadvantaged backgrounds access second and third level education. Last year, we we raised over €40,000 for the two of them. And, you know, during the pandemic, it's, it's really highlighted how important those two charities are and how much, you know, their services are needed and we're delighted to get back to hopefully supporting them in a bigger and better way this year. Okay, well, I'm going to be there and I'm looking forward to it, I have to say. And I think uh, anybody who will enjoy the day. They always do. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to attend it this year again and looking forward to seeing you there. Cool. Listen, let's wrap it up there, Alan. I know you've, uh, you're in New York. It's early-ish in the morning for you. You've had a late <laughs> an international conference calls because you're a fund administration rock and roll star. Uh, no rest for the wicked. I mean, you know what it's like. That's it. Listen, thank Great you for to being on the podcast. Yeah, no, really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Great. There you go, podcast listeners. That's all of Alan's thoughts around things from Adminnovate through to uh, developments in outsourcing by fund administration and financial services providers. Hope you enjoy that. We catch you next time on the Equest Podcast. The Equest Podcast Funds Industry Conversations.